I'm glad you're here today. We meet every Sunday to worship. We pray. We sing. We open up God's Word. And we seek God's face. And we leave here as transformed people. But you know, I'm not sure how your week has been. I know this, is that even a few folks that I met this morning just coming in and, and greeting them and ask how their day, how their week, and I got all these different answers. Some had such terrific weeks. Some, the tears started flowing. Some looked at me and just said, Rick, it's, it's just really hard. It's hard even to trust you, God, in the midst of all these things. And so I am well aware that we come at all different spots. But I'm also really aware that this is the time where we can realign, where we can refocus where we can sing praise songs that, well, maybe they're even hard to sing. But it's these truths. It's being with God's people. It's lifting up our voice. It's, it's trying to see clearly who God is because it just changes us. And we leave here different people, not because of something snazzy, but because God began to change us in our hearts. We're here teaching families to know and obey and enjoy Christ so that every one of us might be able to be salt and light wherever God sends us. Whoever we have a conversation with, whether it be 15 seconds at Menards or Jewel or whatever you are, or maybe it's a neighbor that all of a sudden crossed your path and you had this deep conversation. You know, we've been spending time in John, and I am so convinced that you're here to be able to be realigned, for us to be able to not only praise, but, but to hear the message that Jesus wants us to hear today. This is exciting. It's not exciting because I've really put together something special. I haven't. It's exciting because I really believe this is what God wants us to hear today. And it will encourage us not only today, but it will help us understand even this coming week. You see, we, we started spending time in John, and, and we're learning in just a few weeks into it that John was a feisty apostle who focused on Jesus. Jesus, his loving Savior, who became flesh and showed us who God is and what God looks like. Because Jesus is God. Last week, we focused on John the baptizer. We saw that he was great because of his humility, of how he literally just kept pointing people to Jesus. That's what he did. Today, though, we get a snapshot of the Messiah in action. 
it's very early in Christ's ministry, and, and people are curious about this new rabbi in town. He's hanging out with different people, and wow, his words seem to be a little bit different. People are drawn to Jesus, and they start hanging out with him. In our text today, and you can begin to open your Bibles or your flat screens over there to John chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 35, but in our text today, Jesus makes two requests, requests that I think are still valid today, requests that I think Jesus wants us to at least interact with him today. We're going to look at John 1, the start, shall we say, of Christ's recruiting of a bunch of very normal people who literally changed the world. Let's pray. Father, I get excited to be able to read about some fishermen and some publicans and about some zealots. And, and I get excited because, God, those are just normal people everyday people. Jesus, for some reason, didn't pick the most articulate, nor the sharpest, or the brainiest, or the best dressers, or the ones with the most money. Lord, in our leadership, we would always look toward those kind of people. But Jesus looked at a heart, and he saw that if they would trust him, their world would change and our world would change. So I'm excited today, God, not because I think, again, there's going to be some miraculous action that happens, but I think you're going to do something really special. You're going to excite a bunch of ordinary people sitting in these chairs right here at Crosspoint Church, and we're going to hear your voice, and we're going to leave here ignited different because of your word. I do know, God, though, that there are some broken hearts right now. I know, Lord, that, that some hardly even got here today and are just trying to deal with life. And we ask you, Lord, that no matter what the circumstances is, that your spirit would just be so overwhelmingly powerful right now that we would hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus made two requests. Come and see and follow me. It's Christ's pattern, probably modeling for each one of us how we ought to approach every day in our life. Let me give you just a little bit of background. John the Baptist had been preaching. His message was so very, very simple. He basically just said, you know, the Messiah is coming. He's going to be coming real, real soon. So therefore, you ought to repent of your sins. You ought to get right with God. And if you repent of your sins, I'd like to baptize you. The message wasn't that complicated. He was preaching to a generation that really took God for granted at the moment. He knew that they were living lifestyles that did not please God. And he literally would preach this hard message, a message that not a whole lot of us would probably receive. I just want you to know you're not living for God. 
You're pretty far from God. You're living in sin. Would you repent of your sins? And if you do, let's get you baptized right now. But God was working. God was taking those words which he gave John the Baptist. And people were responding. And there was, well, a little bit of a revival. And people were coming to a place in their life where they saw God differently. Well, in verse uh, 35 of chapter 1, we find John the Baptist talking or telling John and Andrew all about the day before. If you read through this, and I've been encouraging you to read through the Gospel of John, We've handed out Gospels of John, and they're in our lobby, and and you can take those. And and the whole idea, again, isn't that you just keep that Gospel. I want you to read it, but I'd love for you to give it away to somebody. But as you read through this, you're going to find out that, that John the Baptist just identified who Jesus was and called him the Lamb of God. And call him the Messiah, the chosen one. The very next day after Jesus revealed himself to John, he's talking with these two guys, two fishermen, John and Andrew. And I'm not exactly sure there's not a lot of detail in John chapter 1, but I got to believe John the baptizer is pretty excited. He goes, I'm not sure if you guys really understand this, but I was sent to be able to prepare the way for the Messiah. I met the Messiah yesterday. Holy schmoly, do you believe it? I was so excited to be able to meet him and to talk with him and to realize that what God has given me, I, wow, this is important. This is really important. And as he's telling John and Andrew, these fishermen, this story, Jesus walks by. Oh, you know, guys, the guy I was telling you about, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, that's who he is. And the scriptures say this, it didn't take long, but John and Andrew begin following Jesus. And it isn't following like, I want to be your disciple at this moment. I I, I know that we use that term often. It's like they tagged along. And Jesus probably had this small group of people, and John the baptizer pointed him out, and John answers, says, hey, I want some of this. I want to really see what the Messiah is, who the Messiah is, how the Messiah acts. And after a while, the scripture says that Jesus notices these two. I don't know what stuck out about them, but he noticed them, and and Jesus just said this, hey, what do you guys want? And I don't know if they knew the answer right away, but the scripture says this, hey, Rabbi, where are you staying? (laughs) Hey, guys, what do you want? Uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? And it's a little bit odd to us in the culture, but really what they were saying is this. Hey, we'd love to hang out with you. We don't know where your base camp is at this moment. We don't even know if you have a house. We don't know the whole deal right now. We we just kind of met you. But Rabbi, where do you stay? And then Jesus invites the curious. He didn't even answer the question. 
But what he says is this. Look at John chapter 1, verse 39. And he said, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, and when they went to him, the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. You know, come and see is a big deal. What Jesus really was saying is this. He said, you know something, I can describe who I am. I can describe that God had sent me. I can describe that I am the light of the world. I can describe that I am the bread of life. I can even share with you that I'm the Messiah. But you know what I want? I want you to come and hang out with me. I want you to see if I'm the real thing. I want you to be able to hang out with me and if my words make you more thirsty, it's going to happen because of your experience. So come and see was a big deal. Make time for me and see if all the different claims and all the different things that I'm doing really satisfy your soul. So the scriptures say they stayed with Jesus from 4 p.m. on. Now again, John wasn't a writer, and John doesn't record every specific detail, but this was later on in the day, and basically it seems like he stayed through the night and, and maybe even camped out with Jesus wherever Jesus camped out. But something happened at 4 o'clock. They began to interact with Jesus. And their lives began to change. Now, we don't know anything else happened at that moment. But as we look later on in this chapter, we're going to find out that a whole lot really did happen. So however long they stayed, however long they ate together or sat down or interacted, and I don't even know, let's just say they stayed to midnight, all right? Eight hours with Jesus. What would it, what would we give to spend eight hours with Jesus? Now we can, we have the ability as we open up his word and to be able to spend time with God. But in this case, it absolutely changed John and Andrew's life. And the reason we know that is look at the next verse. Verse 40. All right, or 41. Um, Andrew does something very interesting here. He's a fisherman. And in verse 41, Andrew says this. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told them, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. It just simply put this. The eight hours or the six hours or however many hours that Andrew spent with, John, uh, with Jesus, he knew. He knew this was the Messiah. He was a Jewish lad. He had grown up and understood, again, the prophecies about the Messiah. And he was just totally convinced, hey, he's here. Well, I'm going to go tell my brother. We're in the fishing business together, and it's probably really important that he understands this. So Andrew then goes and finds Peter and basically shares this, verse 41. We found him. We found him. We have found the Messiah, the promised prophet, the promised priest, the promised king. 
the one that we've read about, the one that we've prayed for. Jesus is the Messiah. And then I love it. Verse 42, and Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The reason I love it is that, well, he brings his brother to Jesus. He wasn't even waiting for any of this, but, but this relationship that he had, and you're going to see this over and over again. Now, this happened to be a family relationship, and in this family, at least the brothers were talking together and at least working together, all right? They weren't too dysfunctional. But he says, hey, I found him. Let's go together and let's meet Jesus. And again, there's not a lot of conversation, not a lot of recording, but, but Jesus looks intently at Peter, stares at Peter. Maybe even Peter started getting a little uncomfortable. And he just said this, you know what, your name, your name needs to change. And in our culture, again, it's probably not that big of a deal. I mean, okay, you get a name, it's, it's this, but some names do have meaning. But back then, names meant something. And Jesus said, from the very beginning, I'm going to rename you. I'm going to have you focus just a little bit different. And I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you the rock. Now, the narrative stops here. It does. And, and we jump into the next verse, verse 43, and it almost seems like, okay, well, what happened? Did we a different chapter? Did he get trained? transported somewhere. But I just want to say this. We're going to come back here, but I don't think John and Andrew and Peter were actually followers yet. They saw that he was the Messiah. They recognized his words of life, but I don't think they were followers. The next day in chapter 1, verse 43, this is what John writes. Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And by the way, it's about a three-day journey from where they were. He found Philip and said to him, Come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Now, this gets a little bit interesting. Uh, the scriptures don't say who his companions were. But if he was a rabbi, he was already gathering people. And my guess is... Well, John and Andrew and Peter had all met Jesus now. They were at least hanging out with Jesus. And for the next three days, they walked with Jesus to their hometown. And again, I can only speculate, but the scripture here says is that Jesus finds Philip. Now, it would be really odd, I, I don't think that all of a sudden, you know, anybody who's wearing name tags and uh, any of those types of things. But I honestly think during that three-day journey, Jesus was getting to know John and Andrew and Peter, all from the same town, all fishermen, getting to know family situations, getting to know their friends, their relatives, all the different things. And I think Philip's name came up. 
And all of a sudden, maybe Jesus started to ask a little more questions about Philip. Well, what kind of man is he? Does he have some integrity? Does he really love God? Yeah. Yeah, he does. You know what? I'm going to go find him. I'm going to go look for him. And he does. And the scriptures just simply say this. Sometime later, he asked Philip to follow him. Now, granted, I still don't think he's talked to John, Andrew, and Peter. I don't. But what happens here, Philip responds. It, there's not a time frame. It doesn't say that Jesus spent a week with Philip. It doesn't say Jesus just walked up to Philip. And sometimes we read the scripture and we get this idea, well, Jesus just kind of walked up to a dude and said, follow me. He says, hey, I'm all in, man. Let's do it. You know, basically a moron would do that. Okay, I'm just letting you know. Nobody in their right mind would do that. There's always relationship building. There's always this questioning and answering time. So we don't really know how long Philip spent with Jesus, but we know this, is that he spent enough time so that when Jesus said, follow me, he says, I'm there. I'm going to do that. You are worthy to spend my life with. I want to learn from you. I want to do life with you. I want to understand all of who God is for you. Now, again, we jump to the next verse, and, and things seem to be going in warp speed here. But in verse 45, Philip went to look for Nathaniel. Now, every other part in the scripture, um, we find out that uh, he actually goes by a different name, and his name would be Bartholomew. I'm not exactly sure why he goes by Nathaniel sometimes or why he goes by Bartholomew, but this is exactly the same person as you read in other parts of the scripture. But he goes and he finds his friend Nathaniel. He says, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And then Bartholomew, Nathaniel, has a very odd response. Nazareth? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Can anything good Come from Nazareth. Whoa. Philip had a heart for his friends. In fact, I think friendships are the most, to me, fruitful soil, fertile soil for evangelism. We have found that the Messiah, which the scriptures have described and foretold, you got to meet him. He is amazing. Now, he also says he's Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Well, if we read a little bit in some of the other scriptures, we find out that Nathaniel's from Cana. Cana. Now, Cana was very close, and Cana knew about Nazareth, and he understood a little bit about what went on in Nazareth. So this was a little bit odd, um, he asked a question, are, are, are you serious? You're saying the Messiah is coming from Nazareth? He knew that at least at that point, it was a Roman garrison. It was a place of great vice and immorality. And 
what Philip's friend is saying is, hey, I want you to know the Messiah is here. I've spent some time there. Well, you got to meet this guy, and he's from Nazareth. It's like saying, seriously? Out of all the places in all the world? We do find out that Nathaniel was a scholar. And even some other writings, some extracurricular writings, may, may have found that he might even be a little bit royal or, or coming from some kind of a royal family background. But what we do know is this. He was still open to his friend, even though it didn't make sense to him. He could have also easily said this, because if he was a scholar, all right, if he was, he would have known that the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem. Because in Micah 5, 2, it's one of the prophecies about the Messiah. And you would find out, wow, something's not right here, but you're my friend. How about if we just go and find out? And that's exactly what he says. In verse 46, Come and see for yourself, Philip said. Exactly the same thing. Again, the pattern is this. His first disciples that came, Jesus, Jesus said, come and see. Let's live together. All right, let's do life together and see if what I say is true. Eventually, he got the Philip. And Philip responded in some way and he asked the second question, come and follow me. But Nathaniel's at the first peg. He's in the beginning of this whole scenario and he goes, hey, what I want you to do, why don't you come with me? I'm your friend, come with me and see for yourself. I love how they go together again to see Jesus. Now, Christ and Nathaniel have an extremely odd interaction. And I'm just going to read it to you. Let's start at verse 47. And as they approached, approached, Jesus said, Now, here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know that about me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Really? This is powerful, you know. They interact. They go back and forth with one another. Um, Nathaniel likes his initial words. Well, then he goes, how do you know about me? And Jesus said, "I, I saw you under the fig tree. Then Nathaniel, listen to this, he gets excited. He goes, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Then Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I had told you I'd seen you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open up and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Now again, if you're reading this, this this is probably not making a whole lot of sense at this moment. But let me try to at least uh, um, help you understand what, what was going on right here. You see, one of the things that you do need to understand is that the Talmud, which was a collection of Jewish writings, what they basically said in this book is, if you are going to be a wise man, 
literally you need to take time every day and they even put 15 minutes on it and if you take 15 minutes every single day and you sit underneath a fig tree and you meditate on the scriptures and meditate on God you will be a wise man so what Jesus was simply doing is taking some traditional things that happened normally to wise men during that time and literally, Nathaniel had to be one of these guys who was, well, quite enamored with the Scriptures. And he would do this normally. And all Jesus really was saying is this, Hey, I, I see you sitting under the tree. I know that you are looking for God. I recognize that you are a man of integrity. And I just want you to know, I want to be your friend. This got Nathaniel excited. He got jacked. He got up, you know, up. He says, you are the rabbi. I get it. Nobody else would know this about me. And then he said something about heaven's opening up and, and so on. Well, this happened back with Jacob. It happened back in Genesis 28, verse 12. And the word staircase or ladder, some of your older versions, it's all that same word. And Jacob saw this vision of angels going up and down on a ladder or in staircase. And you know what Jesus was actually saying? He said, you know, if you're this excited about me just kind of sharing with you a little bit of who you are, I'm going to open your eyes up even more. What you're going to see is that I, Jesus Christ, not only am the Messiah, but I am the conduit between heaven and earth. You are going to see that I am the one, and it's going to change your life. He got a glimpse of Christ, and he jumped on. Now, when we get a glimpse of Christ, his pattern and his results, we don't want to miss what actually Jesus did in these very beginning stages of his ministry. We don't want to miss how Jesus modeled evangelism and realistically what he did. And say, come and see and follow me. Now this seemed clear for Philip and Nathaniel. They said, you know what, I'm all in, there's not a problem, I want to follow you, Jesus. But as I said, what happened to John, Andrew, and Peter? I mean, these guys were disciples. They were pretty significant in the kingdom work. Well, I think... John, Andrew, and Peter spent days with Jesus. I literally think they walked with him for those three days before Jesus went on a little bit of a ministry uh, search for, P, uh, for Philip. And I think they did recognize that he was the Messiah. But I also think at this time, and, and again, it doesn't say anywhere, but it seems to make sense to me that when they got home, they left Jesus and they went back fishing. Even though they thought Jesus was the Messiah, when they got home, they weren't ready to jump in the pool. 
I actually think Jesus had to go after John and James. And he had to go after Andrew and Peter. Now, in your notes, you can mark down Matthew 4.18 or Luke 5, but I'm going to put up on the board Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 20. Again, this is part of the Synoptic Gospels, and we don't have a lot of information when all this chronological stuff happened. But this is where I think, after Jesus was back in Bethsaida, and he was looking around, and he recognized that the fishermen were not following him. I think this is what happened. Mark chapter 1, verses 16. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. For they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now, if you read the book of Mark, and if you go back into Matthew, and you read some of Luke in chapter 5, again, we get this opinion that all of a sudden Jesus was strolling down the beach, saw a bunch of dudes, said, hey, why don't you come follow me? I am the Messiah. Yes, I'm going to drop everything and just follow you, Jesus. Personally, I think Jesus invited these guys first to come and see. Listen to my message. Walk with me. See that I'm the real thing. They weren't ready, I believe, to be able to follow him. I think actually they went back and they started fishing. And I actually think that they found that fishing wasn't so fulfilling. They had just spent time with the Messiah. They had heard his words. Their heart was leaping. Their eyes were wide open. And they go back to this fishing detail. I said, you know what? This wasn't as exciting as I thought. And then there comes Jesus. He says, hey, hey, John, hey, James, hey, Andrew. Hey, Peter, you guys are fishing. I get it. But why don't you come be part of my disciples? We've spent time together. You know what I have to offer. Would you follow me? And then drastically, they threw everything aside. They said, absolutely. We get it now. We understand that you are the Messiah. Now, they weren't perfect at this time, and they, well, screwed up quite a bit, as you all know. But realistically, what happened at this moment, all right, saying, you know what, I'm going to compare, well, life without you, Jesus, and life with you. And I'm telling you, I want life with you. In just a few short days, I realized that life with you is life, is life. Jesus became their rabbi. 
And this is just the beginning, the story of, well, a group of ordinary men, mostly fishermen, who met Jesus, and Jesus changed their lives. And once Jesus changed their lives, they changed the world. Wow. Andrew and Peter... Philip, his friend Nathaniel or Bartholomew, and John, and probably James. These men hung with Jesus. They learned from Jesus, and they did what Jesus did. Now, as I wrap up, I just want to close with this. As we continue in the book of John, you're going to find out John's unbelievable heart for those without Jesus. He had met Jesus. It changed his life. All he wanted to do was be able to point people to Jesus, be able to let people know that Jesus was the light of the world. He was the bread that satisfied your hunger. He gave life. Abundant now and eternal eventually. And what he did, he said he knew that people without Jesus were lost. He knew that people without Jesus were not going to experience abundant life or eternal life. I think the invitation is the same to us. And even in a crowd this big, maybe we need to respond to come and see. Come and see. Are we all to a place where we just see that Jesus is life? That living without Jesus does not satisfy? Not even a bit? Maybe you're investigating. Some terms as you're seeking and you're, and you're wondering, is this guy the real thing? Is this really the person I want to model my life after and listen to him and respond to him? Well, there's plenty sitting in these chairs that would say, yeah, my life is so different because I met Jesus. And if you're not convinced yet, my encouragement to you is even right now, spend some time in John. Spend some time in the Scriptures. Spend some time looking at God, reading about God, recognizing who God is. And if you do, you'll never be disappointed. I guarantee it. But many of you maybe have spent some time investigating. Maybe you have come to faith. You've recognized that Christ did die for you and that you put your faith and trust in his work on the cross and that you are a son or a daughter of God, and that is awesome. But there's a second question. Follow me. A second request, excuse me. Follow me. That's the harder part. That's the part where each one of us need to have our faith grow. Jesus often answered the question in his ministry life. Hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. 
I do want to be a follower. I want to be a disciple. And Jesus' answer was exactly the same. I put up on the board for you Mark chapter 8, although it's in every one of the Gospels. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 34 and 35. Then, calling to the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, wants to be my disciple, well, you must do three things. You must be a little less selfish or you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and expect that life is going to be more difficult, that there will be suffering. Actually embrace it and follow me. Follow me. There's so much in that word. It means that he's the leader. It means you listen to the leader. It means you're behind him. It means he will lead you in right paths. He will make and give you a life that you could never, ever, ever, ever get by yourself. You can't. You need a guide. You need a shepherd. I need one. And that's the request. Spend time with me. You will never regret it. And follow. Follow. You know, it takes some of us a long time to realize what kind of a leader Jesus is. And that his words are worthy to trust in every area. But when you do, you have no regrets. You know, just before I pray, I uh, try to give you some resources every time, and, and especially if you're, you're thinking through maybe some um, ways to go a little bit deeper. John Ortberg, uh, and I'm sorry I didn't put it up on the screen, and I can give it to you later if you want, but John Ortberg um, wrote a book or did a series called Who Is This Man?, I love this book. This book just kind of takes Ortberg's approach and looks at it and filled with scriptures and just looks at who Jesus is. It's kind of the come and see. And if you have any questions and, and any kind of concerns, that might be a great book for you to pick up. And I have copies. I'd be glad if you can't get one to give you one. Another one is this. It's by uh, Kevin Harney. It's called Organic Outreach. And really, this is just a, another resource that says, you know what? God just invites you to open your eyes to the relationships all around you. And God sends you to certain places and certain situations and puts you in a certain family so that you can be salt and light. And that sharing the good news, inviting people to join you to come and see your Savior, and then encouraging them to follow him is a very natural scenario. It's not scary. It's not scary. It might be a book that will encourage you to just share this unbelievable good news with folks who are just around you that you have relationships with already. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. 
I thank you that in spite of our stubbornness, in spite of our self-centeredness, you desire us to be able to live abundantly. And I pray, Father, that, that as we watch, as we read, as we enter into the life of Jesus, and we see all that he has to offer, and how good of a friend he is, and how much he desires for us to experience life. I pray we respond. I thank you for the example today of John and Andrew. I thank you, Father, that uh, Philip, life was changed, and, and he went to go see Nathaniel. And I know, God, this is how you work. You change us. You give us a clear view of you. And we have an opportunity to, well, point people to you. I pray even at this moment, God, you would give us courage. You would open our eyes that, first of all, we would see you so clearly that our lives absolutely change. That we would trust you so much that when you ask us to do something, we follow you, even if it doesn't make sense to us. For you are a good God, and you are a good shepherd, and you are a good guide. And I pray even, Father, from the folks right here, that others, those who don't see you clearly yet, those who are not redeemed, those who don't know you, that you would use the people right here in this church, that they would be able to be conduits to you. Perhaps there would be even someone that would come to faith this week and that the angels would be rejoicing. We pray, Lord, that there would be revival right here in Fox Lake and all the surrounding areas. We pray it not only for our church, we pray for every church in this area. And we ask you, God, that you would give us the courage to share what you mean to us. And would you work? We can't make that happen. But we know that's your heart's desire. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.